Well, welcome into another episode of the Subscription Web Design Podcast. Here with my friend, Adam, again. Adam, how are you doing, sir? Doing well, Steve. Thank you for having me. Awesome. You know, this, uh, our last episode was one of my most viewed episodes, and by far and away, it was a favorite from a lot of people. They really appreciated the tactical advice and uh, your approach to things. So kudos to you, my man. You, you, make the, you make the show what it is. It's exciting. That's cool. Now, the problem is, though, now you're setting it up for, you know, pretty high standards this time around. So we'll see if they like, they'll see if the <laughs> back goes over as well as the new hope. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So like I was telling you a little bit beforehand, uh, what I plan to do is just pepper you with questions. Funny enough, one of the comments we got last time was uh, uh, that uh, I should let you talk more. So anyway, I'm going to I'm going to try to keep my talking to to a uh, to a minimal so that uh, in the time that we have, you can kind of, you know, lay it out and uh, and I'll let you do most of the of the talking. So let's warm let's warm us up. I can't believe this, but last time we talked, I didn't even ask you how you got into web design. Now I know what you do now. You're kind of like a digital nomad. Maybe that factors into it. But I'd love to know how you got into web design and uh, maybe even why you think web design is um, is just a great choice still in 2024. Sure. So. Coming out of college, I always wanted to do like creative type work and sales. I was great at sales and, um, you know, making things, building things, coming up with solutions and ideas. So um, I had a few jobs in the creative world in the not-for-profit sector, which I know you and I have some overlap in that space and um, some creative work there. And then after that, I got into sales because I realized how much money I could make selling things. I could make way more than I was educated to make if I was in sales. So I did sales for a while and kind of hit a few dead ends. Some things hadn't been working out as I'd hoped. And I ended up working at a factory for a year. And so this is 2010. So 2010, I'm working in a factory, which is neither sales, nor is it creative work, nor is it exceeding the pay that I'm educated to make the time. So, you know, here we go. Yeah. I went into a little restaurant in the town where I grew up in Canada and uh, they had no, this is okay. So this is 2011. So for the youngins, that seems like a long time ago. But for old people like me, just turned 40, it's not that long ago, okay? Mm -hmm. It's only 13 years or something. So 2011, I walk into this restaurant. They don't take debit, so it's cash only. Like they have the ATM sitting in the corner where you have to like go get money because nobody carries money in 2011 then still. And I said to them like, hey, I looked up your hours online. I couldn't find your website. And they said, yeah, we don't have a website which is kind of in line with also not having a debit machine. And so I said, well, why don't you have a website? And they said, well, because like we talked to this guy who wants to build a website for us. It's going to take four or $5,000 up front to build the website. And then I have to sort out like what I'm going to do with this thing called hosting. And I have to register a website address. And I have to remember to renew that every year. It's just way too complicated. Our business is just way too simple for that. You come in, you pay your cash, you take your French fries, you leave. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And at the same time, I had started a blog, um, which it was it was on iWeb, if you can believe that. It wasn't even WordPress. <laughs> so now we're really stretching back into the technological archives. And um, 
the iWeb website was hosted on my dad's shared hosting plan that he had for a couple projects. And so I said to this French shop, French fry shop owner, I said, listen, if I could build you a website and just a standard service package, and then everything's included, your domain, your hosting, your re-registration. If you need any changes, you just send me an email. We'll include that as part of your monthly service package. And, you know, at the time, mistake, but I was willing to build it for zero dollars up front in order to make the recurring revenue. And I knew it was probably a pretty simple build. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I would do that for zero dollars up front in a service package. And I'm like, well, I would need you to do it for a couple of years at least because or else I'm not going to make my money back for what it's going to take me to build the website. He goes, yeah, I would do it for 24 months at least. And then we can just go month to month after that for as long as we need the website. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's cool. Um, let me get back to you on that. And I went down and we had gone to a furniture shop in the same little town in Canada. This tells you how little this town is in Canada. The furniture shop actually did accept debit and credit cards, which is pretty impressive. Um, but they were celebrating their 100th anniversary and I asked them, what are, they, what are you doing to promote your 100th anniversary? And they said, oh, nothing really. And I said, well, you know, you know, they said, oh, we're doing some newspaper ads. We might do some radio stuff. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, are you doing anything on your website? And they said, we don't, we don't have a website. And I said, well, what not? And they said, well, it's way too complicated. You have to do this thing with the hosting and this domain thing. And, you know, we just use Hotmail for email and, you know, all these like, you know, I could pay $5,000 or $10,000 for this furniture website up front. And if I need changes in a month to take down the we're celebrating our 100th anniversary banner, now that's going to cost me more money because now I have to pay bench fees again. And it's just not worth the expense to keep doing this. And so I quickly caught on that uh, there was an opportunity for me to build recurring revenue for myself as well as value for the business. So uh, I went home, I opened iWeb, and I thought to myself, this isn't going to work. And so I decided to learn WordPress. So that's how I learned WordPress. So I joke that I sold two websites before I knew how to build them. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's how it started in 2011. Now, of course, if you watch the first episode, fast forward to 2019, that's when I decided to get really specific on targeting in a niche industry, building a template for that industry, zero dollars up front. So now I'm not building custom and building recurring revenue by treating that template as a service package for the client. So the client's happy, zero dollars up front. And it's a proven model in the sense that they're not just getting like some guy who built a website for a plumber and some guy who built a website for a realtor and some guy who built a website for a French fry shop. All of a sudden now is going to build them one website. Instead, we can show them a portfolio of websites in their industry. Say, this is the model that we use. We know it works. You can check out all these options in our portfolio. Zero dollars up front in a monthly service package. And because we're not building them custom now, because we've already built this website, you know, 60 or 70 times, we can do it for zero dollars up front and get them locked into a service contract for, you know, 24 months. So there's my entire origin story. I didn't get bit by a radioactive spider, but it is exciting nonetheless. You know, a radioactive spider would have made it a lot more exciting, but so, um, I, I guess we'll take it. So um, not bad. No, that's fun. That's exciting. So you've actually been doing, I'm glad you tied the logic together there because I was going to ask about that. So, you know, what happened in 2019 that, that really made you uh, make that shift? But it was really just the, um, yeah, the natural course of, 
building them custom for so long and then realizing that you could scale it better if you didn't have a custom solution, if you had a template-based solution. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And you often, I follow you on X, and so it's, um, you often make the point that uh, it's like, well, you know, nobody in my industry is going to buy a template-based website. And you're like, well, the F-150 is a template. Like, you know, there's all these different examples of templates out there. And I, I, you're welcome to elaborate on that, but I'll just say that I love, um, I love when you can sort of make analogies to other places. Like one of them that I like to use because people are thinking, well, I, you know, I just don't know that I want to pay a subscription for, for a website service or either, you know, talking to other web designers, they're like, well, I don't know that I can ask somebody to pay a subscription for a website service. And I'm like, well, um, have you ever had lawn care or have you ever paid for an accountant, you know, to accounting or bookkeeping or something like that? And it's like, yeah, well, these are all areas where people are already used to paying for a subscription to get access to a service. Um, You just never thought of it like that before. And so your client's not thinking about it like that either. So now that you've had this epiphany, you give them the same epiphany too. Um, You're, finances change every single month. That's why you need to have a bookkeeper for your business who can right. uh, work with the finances every single month of your business because they change and the website is no different, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, 2011, when I pitched this idea, the idea was, well, I don't want to have to call this guy 800 number if I have a problem with hosting and that guy's 800 number if I have a problem with domain and then send you an email if I need updates. It was, you know, the client realizes even if they pay for the website and treat it as a product and I bought a website, they're still going to have to pay somebody for hosting. They're still going to have to pay for their domain renewal every year, even if it's only 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it might be. But the idea of wrapping everything into a simple service package, my clients were willing to pay a premium for that even in 2011 because they wanted the simplicity. There was value in the simplicity. If I have a problem with anything related to website, I call Adam and he sorts it out. Not, okay, call this hosting company or call GoDaddy or call Bluehost because that's who our call SiteGround or whoever it might be, right? Mm. Um, you're not on your own. It's just, hey, Adam, uh, can I get this done? So yes, there is kind of this idea that, you know, maybe I don't want to pay ongoing for a website. That is tricking your clients into seeing websites as a product. What you need to do is explain to them that websites are a service. They are something that actively bring in your business. Just like lighting up your sign out front is electricity. You're paying for that as a service. You have insurance. You pay for that as a service. You have a lease on a retail facility. You're paying for that as a service. So this is just another service that you need to run your business. Um, Now it was a lot easier because you can say, you know, this is now I should say a lot easier than 2011 because now we've got Netflix, we've got Paramount, we've got, you know, Apple Music, we've got all these streaming options, which are essentially services. And so it's a lot easier kind of to wrap your brain around the idea of a subscription model, especially for talking with clients about how that can serve them. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I will say there's still the aspect of education that it, that it requires, um, especially so, you know, for us, we are still doing custom. And I was talking to a business owner, local business owner, great guy. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll get to do some work together uh, come the, the middle of the year. Uh, but we uh, had some initial discussions about what it would look like to work together. And he was really shocked. And now, granted, this isn't a guy who just wants website design. He actually wants ongoing marketing help. But he was actually really shocked 
to find out that we were that that it was going to be a monthly uh, commitment to, to work with us. And again, this is no slight on him. This is just to to show like the way that the world thinks because sure. this guy had interacted with previous website designers who sort of were in the website is a product sort of uh, mindset. Uh, in his mind, we were going to be able to work together. He would pay a one-time fee, get the work done, and then we would be gravy and he could call me back when he needed me again. And I was like, that's, but the, the, the sort of sidebar to that is that one of the reasons we were talking is because the last two people ghosted him. And I'm like, so you see, there, there's the reason why this keeps happening, why the ghosting thing keeps happening is because there's a mismatch, uh, um, a mismatched expectation there between what the client wants and thinks they want and what the web designer wants and thinks they want. And uh, when everybody is not thinking, it, you know, in a unified way, it makes more, you know, it, it makes for a difficult relationship. And so when me and this business owner were talking, you know, he's like, okay, um, unfortunately, I'm not quite, you know, I wasn't prepared for that, basically. So I'm, I'm going to need to sit back down, reevaluate based on that. But I definitely understand why you said that, why we were having these problems before and how we can move forward. So Give me a couple of months to like work through the details of that in my mind and, and structure the business in a way that it can make sense. Um, and, and then we'll look at moving forward. So um, yeah. there's an educational piece still to it, but you got to get your mindset right before you can get your client's mindset right. Anything else with sales, you have to understand the value in order to communicate that. And sometimes that client education is a pain, but it's worthwhile in the end. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's let's move into some of these other questions. Now, this one's going to get a little practical, but it's a, a somewhat of a segue because you mentioned WordPress before. So, um, th the way I wrote the question down was: Do you still use WordPress, or do you use some other technology? And let me ask, let me tell you why I'm asking you this question specifically. Um, I have a lot of students who are starting to ask me about these other solutions, right? So, as the world moves on, obviously Wix and Squarespace are out there. There's other ones now, like. Duda is one that comes to mind. There's all these other platforms. Go high level. People are, are using go high level to build websites in some cases. And I, I keep getting these questions. Now, I'm still personally a proponent of don't build your house on rented land. Maybe that makes me old school, but I'm still using WordPress with a page builder and all of that. Um, and and I, I think that's the best thing for the clients ultimately as well. But I'd love to know your take on it. Are you using something different or do you still use WordPress? I uh, still use WordPress. So the reason is, here's uh, the confession of the year, is that when I was using iWeb initially, one of my clients wanted one of those fun slider things that changes every three seconds because they imagined their website visitors were going to land on their website and sit still and watch for 22 minutes while every slide switched until they got to slide 17 and then went, oh yeah, the phone number, and then scroll and look for a phone number, which is terrible logic. But iWeb didn't do sliders. So that's actually the reason why I started into WordPress. Uh, believe it or not, was I was like, hey, here's something this client wants. I don't know enough to talk them out of it. And so I'm going to have to give them. That's them. so funny. And so WordPress was the quickest solution to get me there at the time. And then since then, I just hate change. I'm a boring, fuddy-duddy stick in the mud. So WordPress is working for me. My clients don't know. My clients don't care. I have plenty of control. I have my own server with all. Well, I have uh, an exclusive. Uh, oh, here's a techie thing. I'm going to mess this up. I've got my own cloud server at a server host. Like I don't have my own machine, but I've got my own designated piece of the cloud something world. I, 
whatever it is, I'm not sharing with anybody else. And WordPress allows me to do that so I can set my own hosting rates and I play a, a big fat monthly fee for that but I can put as much information as I'd like on that server. So it doesn't cost me more when I add on new clients. Um, so all of these things kind of have been enough of a sticking point that I haven't rushed to switch away from WordPress. And also all of our templates, all of our systems, all of our outsourcing, it's already built on the WordPress platform. And WordPress hasn't really given me a reason to leave. So more than another platform needing to give me a reason to switch to them, probably what it would take for me is that WordPress gives me a reason to leave. <laughs> That's probably yeah. what it would take. And I haven't had that. And, uh, you know, with buildthatagency.com, I've mentored people who have used all different pieces of software and, you know, Webflow or Wix or um, whatever that editor X is the next one, Squarespace, uh, and of course, WordPress. And so it's not as if I'm opposed to those other platforms. It's just that once I've built all my processes and nothing seems to be breaking, I'm not a huge fan of just reinventing the wheel for the sake of reinventing the wheel. So one thing I have considered is maybe with a future brands, um, in another industry, maybe I would consider another platform, uh, for that. But right now I think it makes too much sense to stick with WordPress to make a switch like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm very much of the same mindset in general. And um, uh, WordPress is innovating too. I mean, they're coming out with some really unique things and um, the uh, some of the tools and platforms, AI-related things that people are plugging into WordPress, I think is is kind of interesting. I'm also just a fan of, uh, of uh, well, of open source, but also of longevity in the tech world. Anytime you can... Like that's why I use Basecamp. Like some people shudder. Oh my goodness, you don't use, you know, Trello or Asana or just whatever, like, you know, or ClickUp or whatever the next big thing is. And I'm like, none of, uh, number one, none of those companies have been around for 20 plus years. Number two, virtually zero of them are profitable. So uh, as far as I know, I use one of the only project management systems on the planet that has been around for 20 plus years and has been a profitable business for 20 plus years. Um, I like that. Right. So I, I appreciate that stability. WordPress, um, you know, the WordPress dashboard today basically looks like a better looking version of exactly the same thing I was using in 2007. It feels like home. Right. It's like, oh, I, I, like I know my way around here. It's very familiar. And so I don't, I don't see a reason to leave either kind of in, in that same boat. Hey, while we're on that um, hosting, because uh, this was actually another question. I'm trying to tie the logic together because I have so many different questions. Uh, so uh, one uh, listener uh, on YouTube asked about what do you do for hosting? And so you kind of explained that a, a little bit. He said he thought you mentioned something on the last time about um, where it's managed and they do some of the updates for you and stuff. I don't think you did. Maybe he was thinking of something else, but did you want to expand or clarify on that anymore? Do you recommend the route that you went for hosting? Do you, you know, is there um, benefits to it or? I would love to expand or clarify on that. And also I have hired a really great tech team who knows all the things that I don't know. So yeah. again, creative and sales. If you need me to pick the color for the server, I can help you pick a nice color. Uh, or we, we could do a layout for the server and I could help with, you know, a, a user interface layout idea sort of thing. Um, here's what I understand. We have a, a server company that we use and we have a server at their facility and we have redundancy servers. 
so that if there was an outage or something at their facility, it kicks into the next one. Um, right now we have a terabyte of space and that costs me about 400 bucks a month. Um, and so we've kind of grown in that space, but I can put as many domains on there as I'd like. Uh, and most of our templated sites are less than two gigs. So if somebody wants to do some math, they could figure that out. But yeah, it, take, time. it takes the cost per client really low. Um, but there is a tipping point in that, in the sense that when you only have five clients or you only have 10 clients, now your cost per client is really high. And so you have to kind of work your way up to getting to, you know, right now, I think we have 130 websites on the server. So somebody can do some quick math. 130 websites, it costs me 400 bucks a month. Canadian, so that's like 300 Americans. So there we go. There's another mix into the uh, another issue into the mix. Uh, so now you can see like, okay, let's say I have a hundred clients at 300 bucks a month. Ha, there's some easy math. So now my hosting cost me three bucks per client. Um, and then you have to factor in like our tech team and what they contribute, what that cost me. And um, we have an arrangement worked out. They're all on contract. I pay them on a per client basis so that they get to grow their revenue as their workload grows. Um, and also initially that helped me keep the costs low when I was in that 40 to 50 client kind of margin when we were making some of these decisions. So all of that to say, I, I wish I had better information about the technical side of what's going on. Uh, but that's a rough overview of what our server world looks like. And I'm sure somebody's going to have questions. They can leave them in the comments. I'll stock the comments and I'll get someone who's way smarter than me to answer those questions for you. Awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's uh, it's always good. Definitely leave comments under this video because Adam went through and he answered some comments on the last one as well. So it's uh, very, very useful. I always appreciate that. So, um, all right, here's a just you, you mentioned you hired a tech team, right? And you've got a team who does at this point, you know, the server implementation, a lot of the website implementation. So I have yeah. a question that's, uh, it's not really two parts, but it's two levels, right? So the question is, do you plan to stay in the trenches? Okay, and I'm interested in this, in this at two levels, right? Level one is, what do you do right now, right? In terms of the business, are you mostly sales and, and business development? Do you have a project manager? You know, I'm interested about at the business level itself, but then I'm also interested in, hey, is there a point where you plan on going full-time into coaching or do you just kind of always plan to have your business going as like, you know, retirement plan into the future or, or whatever. I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah. So right now my business takes me about 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, and it's, I don't say this in a way that's bragging, but it's more money than I've ever made in my life. Um, yeah. without it's not bragging. I, I'm not in this to make a million bucks a year. I wouldn't be opposed to that idea of getting to a million dollars a year, but I'm doing this so I can pay my bills and hang out with my family as much as possible. So yesterday morning, my wife said, hey, do you want to go see some, we're in Orlando, Florida right now. She goes, hey, do you want to go see this Gatorland thing in Orlando? And I'm like, sure, I don't have any meetings on the calendar, let's go. I want that option instead of like, oh no, I've got 17 phone calls today and one of them could pan out to be the big one. So just to set that all up, I'm open to making a million bucks a year as long as I get the freedom that I currently have. That being said, 15 to 20 hours a week right now, if uh, somebody orders a template, I can outsource that pretty easily. 
I know that it takes me four hours, so I can also do it myself pretty easily and still have the rest of my week available. <laughs> so it's kind of this tipping point where it's like I can outsource just about everything that I do. Um, and that's fine if I want that four hours. But if I was just going to sit around anyway, it actually gives me something to do. Right. And so, you know, it's, yeah. this, this balance to the world. So, you know, at this point in time, I have the finances to outsource all the everything. Uh, but I really enjoyed kind of doing it myself. You know, I could outsource all the sales calls, but I kind of like meeting people and I kind of like the dopamine hit, uh, if that's what it is, I don't know, of making the sale, right? And getting the contract and getting the photos and getting that onboarding form and getting the site live. I kind of like that process. Now, yeah. that being said, I have no specific affinity to designing websites. Like, go back to my origin story in 2011. I did this because I saw a need and I wanted out of my financial obligations to working at a factory, <laughs> right? And so right. this is where we are. Now, if I never designed another website in my life, I will be totally fine with that. I'm not about having to click the buttons myself. Um, so all of that to say, what are my next steps? Where do I see myself growing? So that was the answer. Number one, I guess. I outsource yeah. a lot of what I do, but I am a one man show. So it's kind of an as needed thing. I outsource the tech. I outsource, we have a server company that we use. We don't do any of that ourselves. Um, but as for, as far as the design, the sales, all that kind of stuff, kind of do that myself. Although I could outsource it if I got to the point that I needed or wanted to. So that's kind of the next step. So what is the next? Well, the next step would be to basically replace me in the sense of a project manager who could outsource the WordPress build and can look after client requests. So a project manager with some knowledge of WordPress would be helpful. Here's my challenge, um, is that I'm only working right now 15 to 20 hours a week. So it would be nice to get that 15 to 20 hours a week back, but only if I could replace that with what it would cost me to hire the project manager. And also, how many really great project managers are available and willing to work 15 hours this week and 30 hours next week and 10 hours the week after instead of having a reliable full-time income? Or if my wife looks at the books and you're going, you're paying them how much for 15 hours a week? <laughs> That's a different conversation too. She's like, you could be doing yeah. it yourself. That could just take you, you know, a couple evenings and a, a couple full days and then you're all set yourself and we could have that money available for going to see more gators or whatever it is she wants to do with that money. So this is kind of the balance that I'm in and um, pinch myself because this is not ever where I imagined I could be, um, that I could replace my income and only have to work 10 to 15 hours a week. You know, maybe the demand for coaching grows to the point where the coaching provides the income to justify that project manager and I'm making more money over here and I get to hang out with you and I get to do podcasts and I get to do videos and I get to do fun stuff that I love doing. And also maybe, maybe this is cool. Maybe this is, is kind of cruise control for me. So I never want to get complacent because I would hate to lose, you know, a brand or an industry or not have access and then be in scramble mode, definitely not my goal. And also I don't want to, you know, 
spend the next 10 years and be like, hey, I made my millions. Um, and also not really know who my kids are. And I know lots of people have found that valid. So please don't, please don't understand. Please don't feel like you have to choose one or the other if you're listening to this. But if I had to choose, I'm choosing my family first. So now I'm at the point where I'm saying, okay, family first. And what can I do to work around that and continue to grow, even if that's at a slower pace than if I work 60 or 80 hours a week? Amen. Uh, I could, I mean, I could not have answered that better myself. That was, that was perfect. Um, I think that uh, everybody has to make this choice, you know, of, of how involved are you going to be? How much do you want to do? How easy do you make the process on yourself? You know, I, I had a hard enough time. Um, uh, homeschooling did not work for us. Okay. So I, we've got four kids. We tried, we made a valiant effort. It just did not work. So our kids go to a great local Christian school here. Very happy with where they go. Um, I get to coach their soccer team. So that's really cool. But I had a hard time uh, initially making that choice because like part of the reason why I wanted to leave work, uh, leave, leave, leave a full-time job was because I, I thought, well, like it seems really unnatural that I don't get to spend like all day with my kids, like all day with my family, especially then. I mean, they were really little at that point. So I'm like, sure. it just seems so unnatural not to be here. Now I realized that might just be a feeling I had. I know for a lot of families and, you know, for the past couple millennia, like, yeah, I mean, okay, dad leaves the house, you know, he goes out and milks, milks the cows all day and, you know, comes home and eats dinner at night and that's fine. You know, for me, uh, where we are living in 2024 now. And so I, I think that, I think we're allowed to sort of adjust with the times, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm a conservative. And so just in general, what conservatives want to do is bring the best parts of the past forward. It's not like we're just totally stuck in the mud. We do want to progress, especially, you know, people like me, I'm a technologist, I'm a futurist. I love AI. I love tech. I love thinking about that stuff, but I do want to conserve and bring forward with me the best parts of the past. And so I just think um, perhaps one of the best parts of the past is not leave the cave at the beginning of the day and come home in the evening. I think perhaps we can, we can potentially move on from that, you know, especially in a world where it's very likely that 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, you know, hard labor is going to be almost non-existent as, as a job because there will be tools that can do that. And for a human to use their cranial capacity doing those things might not even make sense. So I'm just trying to get a jump on that, if you will. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do, I, do think that's, I do think that's good to be able to choose the lifestyle and kind of do things that the way that you want to do them. And uh, you're ultimately the only one who gets to determine that. And uh, keeping the finances and all in line, that's a big piece of this. Like, like, yeah, I mean, for me, by far, the biggest expense in my business is labor. And um, my team is great. Like, they're fantastic. Um, but yeah, like, it's, 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 a, it's a big expense to pay, you know, to, to pay for other people to, to do the work for you. And, uh, you know, doing custom work, it is one of those limitations, right? I would be sitting here for at this point at my, my the current stage of business that i'm in i would be sitting here for 13 hours a day if i was doing all of the sales for you know the, the business development the client fulfillment and everything i i just i would have no life and uh so it's not possible you know doing a custom custom thing to just never scale or either to not raise your prices because you're so good at what you do you know to, to create that kind of demand so i think you found the perfect sweet spot and i know a lot of my audience is going to really dig that yeah, and I will note, hey, I'm in my RV right now. If you hadn't noticed, this isn't the typical work office background. It's not as beautiful as Steve. 
but uh, here I am in my RV. We travel full time and sometimes we're in our RV. Awesome. Last interview that we did, we were actually in uh, pet sitting um, a couple dogs in England, just north of London. And uh, so, yeah, we travel all the time and that's how we live our life. And so, you know, it's important to figure out what you want to prioritize and then figure out what the finances will be necessary to get you there. And, you know, there's, I'm sure all that can be said about setting a goal and finding a goal and discovering your goal and taking baby steps towards that and all that stuff. I, I won't get up on my soapbox, but, uh, but I think it's important. I, I agree. And I'll just say for the record, and this is kind of what's so cool about this is, um, uh, I don't believe in a sort of cosmic sense that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But when it comes to our backgrounds, I do believe that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Arguably, you have a more beautiful background if your goal is to be able to be in an RV and travel the, you know, and travel the world. You know what I'm saying? So like it's, uh, yeah, really, really, really neat. Sometimes I, th I think about, well, I'm just going to get rid of my office so that I don't spend all my time in here because there is that temptation. So anyway, um, okay, next question. So. Uh, this, this comes from, and I'm just going to kind of try to determine if I'm going to summarize or if I'm just going to read this. I've got a couple questions from Evan. He is, uh, one of my course students. And so he's an awesome dude. And so here's what he asked. Um, let's see. He liked, I liked when you talked about having the segment of a segment when it comes to your niche. Uh, my niche is churches. Is that segment too broad for black Friday? I bought an Excel list of hundred K churches in America. Uh, right now, I want to only focus on churches in my state, Virginia. Is that a segment of a segment now, or should I narrow it down even more? What say you? Narrower. Narrower. I'm a fan of narrow, narrower. Um, so I'll say two things about this. So your industry is churches. That's great. Your segment is Virginia. That's great. You need a segment of that segment. So here's always the concern. If I niche or niche too narrow, is there actually going to be enough people to build an agency? So I've got a very fun math equation and I need somebody to come up with a better name for this, but I call it the 100%, 20%, 5% rule, which is so complicated. There's got to be a better name for this, but here's how it works. What you're going to do is so your, your, your industry is churches and then you're in the state of Virginia and then you're going to choose a segment of that. Like it could be um, churches under 200 people, right? And that's going to help you determine how you price things. Uh, it could be churches over 200 members. And that's also going to help you determine how you price things. It could be churches in a certain county. It could be like a certain denomination of churches. It could be a certain style of church. Um, it, any of those things are viable segments. But what you don't want to do is get so tight you don't have enough of an audience to build a proper agency. So here's where the 100%, 20%, 5% rule comes in. I'm going to, instead of churches, use the example of Peach in Ohio, because I happen to know those numbers. <laughs> so if your segment, yeah. if your industry was restaurants and you said, I want to sell to restaurants, I would say that's not small enough. And then you say, well, I want to smell, sell to, not smell, I want to sell to pizza shops. Okay, that's a segment, but not small enough. Here's your segment of a segment, pizza shops in Ohio. And you go, Adam, that is ridiculous. There's no way there's enough pizza shops in Ohio to build a thriving agency. So here we go. 100%, 20%, 5% rule. What is 100% of your market? So you do a quick Google search. How many pizza shops are there in Ohio? There are 5,000. 
So I use this example, nice round numbers. Excellent. Okay, <laughs> so now we know how many people or what is our audience for 100% of our audience is 5,000 pizza shops in Ohio. Okay, the next question is, or in your case, you know, how many churches in Virginia, what style or what size or what denomination, for instance. Okay, the next question is, what is 20% of that market? So if there are 5,000 pizza shops in Ohio, 20% of that market is 1,000 pizza shops. Okay, now the part of this you have to figure out is, could those pizza shops actually use a website? So we're not talking about the Pizza Huts, the Domino's, the Papa John's. We're talking about people who need a website and don't have like a marketing department. They don't have a franchise department. They don't have whatever else. And they don't all have a website or they have a website that's not actually working for them. So if you found an industry where everybody has great websites, maybe that's a no. So maybe you're not broad enough. But anyway, pizza shops in Ohio. So 100% rule. 100% is 5,000, 20% rule is 1,000 pizza shops. Could there be 1,000 pizza shops that need a website? Well, yes, because only about half of the pizza shops in Ohio are franchises. So about half of them are independent, which means 20% for sure could use a website. Great. Now, the last question is 5%. So now what is 5% of the market? So if you have 5,000 pizza shops in Ohio, 5% of the market is 250 pizza shops. So now the question is, if you only were able to capture 5% of your segment of a segment, would you be able to build a thriving agency? So, okay, let's say you have 250 pizza shops now, that's your 5%, and you're going to sell websites at 200 bucks a month. Okay, 250 times 200 bucks a month, I think that's around $50,000. So the question is, if I only capture 5% of the market, is that enough at my price point to build a thriving agency? And most people would suggest that $50,000 a month is enough to build a thriving agency. Now you, have, now you get to take the limits off because now the question would become at that point in time, Okay, well, we've done pizza shops in Ohio, but what would it looks like? What would it look like to add on five percent of pizza shops in Tennessee, and five percent of pizza shops in Pennsylvania, and five percent of pizza shops in Michigan, five percent of pizza shops in Indiana and the bordering states? Right now, now you get to expand, but in order to make the biggest possible splash, you have to do a segment of a segment. So you might think, okay, well, yeah, but if I only do churches in Virginia that are under 200 people, you know, well, what is your 100%, 20%, 5% rule? Can you justify charging a church that's under 200 people enough that your 5% rule actually works? And if not, maybe you have to look at a different segment of a segment, right? So maybe there is a larger group of states that you could say, okay, 5% of these three states, now that gets me enough to build an agency. Or maybe instead of churches under 200 people, it's churches under 500 people are willing to pay X number of dollars. Now that builds you an agency. So that is the conversation to have. Still, Virginia, how many churches are there in Virginia? I can do a quick Google search and find this out. How many churches <laughs> are there in Virginia? Okay, there's about 8,200 churches in Virginia. So 
I'm going to guess that you're not going to make a big enough marketing splash if you try and become the go-to guy for websites for 8,200 churches. So that's why you want to go after a segment of a segment because the smaller churches probably have a newsletter that they run. Uh, they probably have a way, you know, a podcast for a local network of United Methodist churches in Virginia, for instance. Um, you, you could then go and say like, I'm going to try and connect really specifically with my segment of a segment and become the big fish in a small pond. And that is actually the value or that's the benefit of getting so specific, not that you're eliminating a, a huge number of people who could potentially be clients, but that you're being so specific that you're a big fish in a small pond. And once you've tackled just 5% of that market, go ahead and feel free to expand from there. Yeah, I, I love this. So th this was definitely one of the most impactful parts of both last time and also this time, because this 100%, this 20%, 5%, I think is a really cool filter, even though it might not be the best name. Now, let me ask you a question though, okay? And now listen, uh, I get the impression uh, from, you know, between the both of us, neither of us are math gurus, right? Part of the reason we price our businesses the way we do is because we're not, we don't love math. We just like math that pays us, right? So let, let me, let me, I don't want to push back. I just want to ask a question yeah. on that 20% because I'm a little confused about something, okay? So the way that you normally say that, and if we're getting too technical here, just tell me and I'll set up, okay? But um, the, the way that like the sort of the filter goes, right? Um, all right. In, in the pizza shop example, 2,500 of the pizza shops are actually not your customer. Right. Right. Is that, that that's the case. Right. And so yeah. with the 20%, I'm just a little confused on like a couple things with the 20%. So the 20% is we're trying to, is we're trying to identify if at least 20% of the, of the market that we've chosen could be our customer. Is that right yeah. so far? Okay. 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 Gotcha. Gotcha. So then is it still accurate to do the 5% math on the 5,000 or would it be more accurate to do the 5% math on the, on the 1,000? That's where I was just getting a little bit confused. Do you yeah. have any clarity for me or am I overthinking it? No, no, we can talk about that. So my idea is that if you are so specific that your targeting is so good that you can say, Hey, I'm going to get, you know, this exact, I'm going to be the big fish in this little pond, then you should be getting interest in one in four calls. So here is where you say, okay, the 20% allows me to say that the 5% I need to build my agency is one in four calls. Okay. But yeah. you want to say, okay, but if that 20% ends up not panning out to one in four calls, I have some breathing room that could take me up to that 50%, right? You don't want to go all in on like, okay, I've got 5% of the market needs websites. I could build an agency with 5% of the market. I have to sell everybody I call. Well, you're in trouble because nobody has a 100% sales record. So what I like to see is that, okay, my segment of a segment, is there at least 20% who do need my service? Because if they don't, you need to do something different about your market. But if they do, you've got a one in four chance to, to close those people. Now, go ahead and close the 8%, close 10%, close 15%, go for it. And as you grow, I'm sure that those numbers are going to go up for you. You know, somebody who's in that 5%, they end up having a cousin who also owns a pizza shop, right? 
and now you've got their business too, right? But what you don't want to do is you don't want to trick yourself into the mindset on one side of the ditch. On one side of the road is a ditch where you trick yourself into a mindset thinking, if I do this properly, I close everybody. And on the other side of the ditch is saying, if I'm too specific, I'm not going to be able to grow my business. So what I'm trying to do with the 5% is give you enough confidence that there is so much opportunity in your market that you would only need 5% of pizza shops in Ohio to build a $50,000 agency. We're not talking about like all of North America or all the states or all the Midwest. We're not talking about 50% of the pizza shops in the world. We're talking about 5% of the pizza shops in Ohio, which is a little tiny drop in the bucket of potential. It could reasonably be that pizza shops are a million dollar a month industry if you Mm -hmm. still own less than 5% of half of the pizza shops in all of the states. So yeah. Just to put it in context. But now what you do is you say, okay, now when I'm going to spend advertising dollars, I'm not going to try and go for the whole Midwest. I'm not going to throw advertising dollars at, you know, the Pizza Shop Association of America. I'm going to throw that money towards Pizza Shop Association of Ohio, right? And when you do Facebook ads and you do geo-targeting or whatever you might do, or you do podcasts about restaurant owners in Ohio, that's going to be a lot more specific and give you a lot more focus. So that's kind of the, the balance I'm always after is, is helping people who are starting their agency get specific enough. That's really the challenge more than too specific. Totally. Okay. Yeah. So that, so that makes sense. Right. So with that 20%, you know, what we're really just trying to do is determine that, okay, well, there is enough who actually need the service within my segment of a segment that it could work. And then with our 5%, we're trying to say, okay, well, can we build a thriving business on 5% of the total market? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then it's probably a good segment of a segment. And if if it's not, then you need to go back to a drawing board. Got it. You got it. Awesome. So that actually leads, uh, if we can, to uh, the second question from Evan, uh, because you started talking about marketing there at the end. And he has a question about marketing as well. So he says this, aside from cold calling, I prefer not to do this. Amen, by the way. I also prefer not to do that. He says, what are other effective ways to getting clients that you have experienced or any of your students have experienced? Can you also walk through the cold call and or other method process? Sure. So um, what I want to, so he doesn't want to do cold calling, but he wants to know how to do cold calling. So we're going to do both these things. Or whatever the other method is. Right. Introducing yourself at some point in time to the conversation. Yeah. Okay, got it. So first thing I would do is I would recognize that once you've got so specific on your segment of a segment, let's say that's um, churches under 200 people in Virginia. Evan, this is straight for you, okay? Now what you're going to do is you're going to find a way to connect with people who've already built that audience. So there are communion cups that people will sell communion cups to churches. There are people who will supply Bibles to churches. There were people who will provide management services like, you know, um, email follow-up services for church guests. Or there are people who will, who will provide money management services for church guests. And so what you're going to do is you're going to connect with people who've already built that audience 
and use them to get in front of that audience. And if you don't believe me this works, you're a web designer watching Steve's podcast and here I am. So this is exactly how this works, right? Steve's built a great audience. They love Steve. They know, like, and trust. You guys know you like and you trust Steve and you know that he wouldn't bring me on a second time, maybe the first time I fooled him, but a second time if he didn't also trust what I had to say. So I'm here because I can give my time for free to Steve to hang out and get in front of you. And maybe you are interested in my business model and some coaching at buildthatagency.com. So what you're going to do is find a way to get in front of people who have already built the audience of people you're looking to reach. So pizza shops in Ohio, let's go back to that example for a minute. Maybe you're talking to the people who repair pizza ovens. Maybe it's the pizza oven suppliers. Maybe it's the cheese and the pepperoni and the dough suppliers. Maybe it's the guys who come and will do digital signs for pizza shops. They specialize in digital signs for pizza shops. Now you can get in front of them. Do they have an email list? Do they have a podcast? Do they have a magazine? Do they have something that goes out? Do they have a catalog that goes out once a year to all those people that you could put an insert or an advertisement on or, you know, sponsor the back cover, whatever it might be. There are people out there who have already built the audience you're looking to build. Now, for instance, you said you purchased a list of 100,000 emails. What I would do is I would go and find your segment of a segment out of that list of 100,000 emails because there's more value to connecting and saying, hey, we specialize in websites for churches in Virginia under 200 people, and we know that's you. That's a much better approach than like, hey, we build websites for churches, blast 200,000 people, and they go, oh, yeah, we get that email like 17 times a day. Ignore, we already have a website. So there are better ways to go about it, being really, really specific and that allows you to target all your messaging to that person. So here's what I would do on a call. I would call that church office, or if I was doing pizza shops in Ohio, for instance, call the pizza shop. Um, I might start by sending them a contact email uh, uh, on the contact form of their current website or a DM on their current Facebook page or Twitter page or Instagram page. Hey, my name's Adam. We build websites for churches in Virginia that are less than 200 people. I'm going to call the office tomorrow at nine o'clock. Who would be the best person for me to speak to? Now, if they reply, they got your message and they let Joe know you're calling and you know the guy's name you need to talk to. You need to talk to Joe. This is way more information than a cold call because now at nine o'clock, you call at 8.58. Hey, my name's Adam. I'm calling about your website. I have an appointment with Joe at nine o'clock. Because Joe knows. They didn't say, don't bother calling Joe or no thanks, we're not interested. Yeah, they did. Obviously, you respect that and move on. And that's why you only need 5% of your market. But what you then do is you're going to follow up. So you start with maybe through their contact form. And if they reply, then maybe you could send them a link. Hey, I don't know if you caught it, but I was on X podcast. And here's my philosophy on websites for churches. If you'd like to take a look what I'm calling about and why I'm calling. That's an option. You might also say, hey, here's a blog post that I wrote about 10 mistakes churches are making on their website or 10 mistakes small churches in Virginia are making that are stopping visitors from coming to their church, right? Or yeah. 10 mistakes yeah. pizza shops are doing in their marketing that is hampering their repeat customers. 
you're going to send them this blog post ahead of time. Okay. So now by the time you get to the phone call with them, they've had the opportunity for four or five pieces of information from you about you. And then what you do is you call, say, Hey, Joe, I'm calling about your website. I know this is out of the blue and I apologize for that. I want to offer you a free review of your website. So there's no obligation from you. I don't need anything from you. I just want to show you some opportunities for improvement. What's the best email address for me to send that review to? Okay. Now, what do you have? You have Joe's email address. You've got not a sales call that you have to pitch on the phone. Like, hey, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. It's only this much per month. Can <laughs> we get you started? Can yeah. we sign you up now? Before they hang up the phone. Hey, I would like to give you something. It's a free 40 point website review of your current website. I don't need anything from you. This is no obligation. It's completely free. What's the best email address for you to send it to? You put the, you do the review, which then helps people identify that they have a need for a better website, right? And you're going to reply back and say, Hey, good news. You scored 36 points out of 40, but there are, you know, four things that we could do to help improve your website. And then you put them into an email automation sequence to walk them through those things and, and ask them to trigger a response, like a reply, if you're ready to get started or click here for more information or whatever else. So that's the way to do it. Then you can have a follow-up call if you'd like, but that's how I would go about it. So here's some value. Here's some value. Here's some value. I'm actually speaking to you. I'm not asking for anything. I just want to give you more value. Here's that value, which actually helps them identify a need, right? Because if they think their website's perfect, then they're not going to want you to redo their website. So the free evaluation helps them see where are their opportunities for improvement. Now, mm. once in a while, in a rare case, work from home life, little kid walks by. No little kid, he's 12. I shouldn't say little. He's a normal sized 12 year old, but <laughs> work from home one. How's it going, Zach? He's good. Okay, so once in a while, okay, the goal of the evaluation is to help people recognize they have a need to redo their website, right? There's something missing, something. Once in a while, you'll call somebody and you'll say, hey, I, I'm not asking anything from you. I would just like to do a free review of your website for you. And they cut you off and they go, don't worry about the review. My website's terrible. <laughs> They've already identified that they need a new website. You go right into, well, what is it that's not working for you? They might say, well, we never get any calls or nobody ever brings in the coupon that's on the website, or we only get 30 people a month to our pizza shop website. Okay, great. Now let me help you identify how to change that need. So the goal of the evaluation is really to help them identify that they have a need to improve their website. But if they've already identified that, you can cut to the chase and make the sale. Mm, okay. So here's the thing. Okay, if, if you literally like ignored the entire rest of this podcast and listened to about the last five minutes, uh, you got enough gold right there to like make all kinds of money. So let me try because I'm a, I'm a distiller, right? I'm a, I hear something and I'm like, I, I got to think about the simplest way to execute this, okay? So, all right, let's say that we've got, we've got the OPA, the other people's audiences thing. We've got that out there, okay? That's a, that's a thing we can do um, and it's a very wise thing to do. In my opinion, it might work uh, better, at least from a financial perspective in the digital world. Um, right. In other words, it might be hard to like find a communion cup supplier 
that's got a podcast. You know what I'm saying? To be fair, right? Uh, Maybe they have an insert or or maybe you can find out where the communion cup supplier advertises, right? And then you go there. So there's your segment of a segment uh, with your advertiser, if you will. So that's, uh, but uh, what I want to put a stake in the ground on that is the logic behind it. The logic that you're doing is who has my audience? And if the, if the answer is, well, people have my audience, but I can't really get, get to them, then you kind of even go backwards a little bit and say, well, who, right? Like, like where is the communion cup person advertising because they have found where to advertise to the audience, right? right. And so you just keep peeling back layers until you can identify those opportunities. All right, so that's on one hand. Okay, the other hand, what you just mentioned was I, what I think I heard was a pretty well-contained process that you can do entirely outside of needing other people's audiences. And I put it, you tell me if this sounds kind of right based on what you said. I will have to go back and listen. But based on what you said, I've, I've basically got like a three-step sort of thing here, right? So on the one hand, it's good to be creating long-form attraction-based content, right? That's sort of step one. Because number one, I mean, if you have that, you can use it in sales collateral, but also you're building up that muscle as well for eventually for organic traffic and things of that nature, right? Right. So you've got long-form sort of attraction-based content. Maybe even you do short-form videos, so maybe long-form is unnecessary, but just attraction-based content that gives value to the audience. All right, then... It sounds like what you're what you're recommending is like a almost a selection process with a heads up component. So uh, instead of you know trying to cold email you know maybe a hundred churches at a time who may or may not you know be a good fit for your service and a fairly generic message, you know maybe on a maybe any given day your goal is to just search the internet for thirty minutes or so and find five right identify five that you could actually reach out to with a personal message and and. And, and select them because you know that they're in your segment of a segment. Give them a, a value-based sort of heads up that says, hey, I build websites for cert- this certain kind of church. By the way, here's a couple of the recent articles that we've written. Uh, I think there's some opportunities on your website. I would like to um, get in touch with you about this. And, and maybe I'm, I can't tell if at that point is when you, you would uh, offer the review or you would say, hey, I'm going to call. But regardless, you're going to do one of those things. And then maybe maybe you say, I'd like to do a, a, a review on your website. Also, um, I just wanted to send you this before I call tomorrow. Obviously, you'd word it better. But yeah. then, you, then, you, then you do the direct contact. So I call that, I, when I wrote it down, I said a direct contact offer. So maybe that's more like, um, okay, so here's, so what about this? So maybe the second step is like selection and heads up. So it's like, hey, I, it looks like you'd be perfect for our services. Here's a couple of, of things that we've written that I think would be useful for you or a video that we recorded that I think would be useful. And it's the 10 mistakes video tomorrow. I'm going to reach out to you. I just wanted you to have a heads up. So it didn't come out of the blue. So then maybe you call them the next day and that's when you say, Hey, that's when you offer the 40 point evaluation or, or whatever. Hey, would you mind me sending that to you? So am I kind of right? Like sort of like a three ish step process that you could pretty much re- repeat on autopilot every day within your segment of a segment. Yeah. So the goal, because so the problem with cold calling, and this is where a lot of people get it wrong and also why it's kind of apprehensive. We're all a little bit apprehensive about calling, calling somebody out of the blue is how do you get from like, you don't know who I am, but I want to sell you something. Right. And so the goal of whether it's a warm call or a cold call or a referral or anything, the goal is to help the client identify a need. That is the entire goal, because if you can help them identify the need, 
you're also the first person to get to help to identify the solution. So what, that's why we always start with like, hey, I'm going to do a review, right? Because the review says, hey, great, 33 points out of 40. You're firing on all cylinders. Great. But you do have seven opportunities for improvement. Let's walk through what that would take, right? And if the client yeah. says, don't worry about the review. I already know my website sucks. Perfect. They've already identified and you're in a conversation with them about it. Okay. So they're not going to be like, you're right. My website does suck. I've been meaning to get that looked at. I'm going to hang up and call somebody else. They're going to at least finish the conversation with you because you helped them identify the need. So how the, the question is, how can you warm them up ahead of time so that when you call, it's not out of the blue and they know why you're calling. Um, and so that's like the DMs ahead of time or the contact form ahead of time, or if you have email addresses, an email ahead of time. And maybe you get the bonus of saying, hey, you may have seen our ad in Small Churches Virginia magazine or something like that, right? Pizza Shop Restaurant Owners of Ohio's magazine.com. You may have seen our ad there. And the reason I'm reaching out is because we're offering a free 40-point website review and evaluation. So you're still going to get people who have no idea who you are, say no right away and hang. I get that. However, the process of like, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's how I think you have a need. That isn't as powerful as can I show you some up? Can I give you a free something that might help identify where you're missing an opportunity? Yeah. Oh, that is so great. Uh, I'm really pumped about that. I think Evan's going to love that answer. And I just, I just did a little extra math here, uh, just something kind of interesting, okay? No matter where you're at in your business, but especially if you're brand new, maybe you're working a full-time job, all right? In your segment of a segment, I, I cannot possibly think of, um, of someone who doesn't have time to email five churches or churches, businesses, whatever, five yep. businesses within your segment of a segment each day with more sort of personalized contact. I, I don't think there's anybody who couldn't find time to do five. Now, depending on your work schedule, it may be harder to do like a follow-up call the next day. So there might be a little bit of planning you have to do around that. But if you started just the process with identifying five every day, first of all, you might not even have to do a call in some cases, right? In some cases, they may get back to you via email or something. If you do five a day with about 250 working days per year, which on average is about what there is, uh, that's 1,250 reach outs to your segment in a segment within a year, all right? Now, if you got 5% of that business, that's 62 and a half clients, right, for that year. So depending on what you're charging, if you end up that year, you know, doing about the $200 a month, like Adam you know, uh, suggests or, or like we talked about last time, uh, and you end up getting that 5% business, so 62, uh, 50 clients, um, 62 and a half clients, whatever, times 200, uh, that's $12,500 a month that's coming in at the end of one year. Um, if we're half wrong, you probably replaced your full-time job already, okay? So that means if you did those reach outs to your segment of a segment, and I mean, again, when you're giving the value to the segment of a segment, Remember that you're also doing that with the uh, added advantage that you are the expert in the businesses for your segment of a segment. You're not a generic web designer. Your entire website 
is built around that segment of a segment. So, I mean, even at, even at those numbers, could you, what if you, what if it was only two and a half percent instead of five, right? And now you're talking about $6,200 a month. You're only closing two and a half percent of the business of your segment of a segment in the course of a year. We're using pretty conservative numbers here. Like that gets me excited. I mean, that's a yeah. pretty small investment of time with a pretty large potential payout. And I think you you might do better than 5% close rate if you're the absolute industry expert in what you do and you're just gathering up testimonials and you're making sure to put them on your website. Man, that that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to say on that point? If not, I have like one more question if we have time. Do we have time for oh, one more? We've absolutely got time. So my only thought on that is what you're not factoring in, which I think is valuable, is referrals that will come after you build a website and somebody likes your process and starts referring people. Now, like, hey, Joe said I should call you about a website. That's not a 5% close ratio. That should be like an 80% close ratio, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, the exactly. other thing is that now you've got a portfolio and your portfolio acts as a sales tool. So if you have 60 websites in your portfolio, somebody goes to your portfolio, like websitesforchurches.com or pizzashopwebsites.com, and they see 60 people in that portfolio, your close ratio of people contacting you through your website is going to be a lot higher because they've already seen how many other people have put their trust in you, social proof. The third thing is that people are going to search for, hey, pizza shops near me and look for websites and be like, I don't like that website, I don't like that website. Ooh, I like that website for my new pizza shop. They're gonna scroll out of the way to the bottom. They're gonna click the design by footer and now they're coming to you. Now they see the massive portfolio. Now they fill out your contact form and you have really locked that guy in. He is super convinced unless something is really off, that you're the guy to build his website. So this becomes a snowball effect. And uh, so, yes, your math makes perfect sense. And also, I think your math is very conservative in the sense that referrals and design by links and your portfolio starts to increase your sales rate a lot faster, a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, I mean, you know, arguably, you know, uh, 12 and a half K at the end of one year with this consistent process is a low conservative number. And we, we cut it in half and said, if it was in half, it would be, you know, even pretty good. And, and I think it realistically, it could even double something that you didn't even factor in there was, especially if you're part of your segment of a segment happens to be, uh, in a geographic area, your Google reviews can play a huge piece of that. And I, a lot of people don't know this, but your Google reviews can actually get you number one on Google, the, that coveted spot a lot faster than other things can. A little bit out of scope for this conversation, uh, but it can. And so if your Google reviews, which if you have a solid review and reputation management process, and you should, after you complete a new website gig and you're completing a, a, a fairly good amount of website gigs as you go on, uh, then you're going to be able to build up your reviews very quickly. And reviews are just a, the most powerful modern snowball effect I can possibly think of. Once you get good reviews, so for some clients, that's all they need. They don't even need to have a conversation with you. You know, the reviews are enough to to be mostly kicked over the edge. So yeah. um, it's and a I really, really powerful impact, model. Yeah, I'm sorry. I will add in the impact of having chosen that segment of a segment is now like, okay, when a pizza shop owner from Ohio visits the website, they go, ah, this is the guy for me. Not like, hey, I'm doing restaurants in Ohio. Okay, well, that's too broad. First off, you weren't listening. But second, you know, like, okay, I see a, even if it's still 60 websites in your portfolio, I see a steakhouse, 
I see a burger joint. I see a subway joint. I see a sandwich shop. I see a fancy sushi place. Is this really the guy for my pizza shop? That question gets eliminated when you figure out your segment of a segment properly, which now allows you to snowball that much faster. So it's actually not eliminating potential clients. It's actually really hyper-focusing on locking in the ones that you want to serve. And your template is built for because your template for a steak shop is completely different than your template for a sushi shop, which is completely from your template for a sandwich shop. Okay. Amen. All right. I, I, I want to be very respectful of your time. I said I had one more question. I technically have one and too many questions. If there's You're time, good. then I promise. Go for it. it. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, and then we will for sure do this again. All right. So um, a mini, let me ask you a mini question. Sure. It's just like, no, and it's not even a good thing. So uh, I love, like, I, I'm obsessed with online marketing, right? Really come from like the direct online marketing, um, direct marketing world. And so like the coveted thing in the online marketing world is to make a sale without even having to talk on the phone, right? Do you think that's ever possible even with this, with this model? I mean, I've, I've seen some people that I think can kind of do it. Um, like there's, a, there's this, um, um, what's it called? 180, 180 sites. Uh, they're, they're like a, a template provider, template website provider for like, you know, small, um, small services, businesses and stuff like that. And I don't think, uh, I mean, I think you can get on the phone with them, but I think they do have like a sign up on their website. Do you ever, have you experimented with that? Do you think it's possible or, or would you not even recommend worrying with it? I think it is possible. I think that there is still value of standing out in the crowded world of web design. Of all of these people I could choose a website from, uh, to actually get on the phone with somebody and have them know, like, and trust you, not just, mm-hmm. I filled out a form on a website. Um, my experience is that there are clients who are willing, just as happy to fill out the form on the website. But my experience is they're not locked into the relationship of the service contract the same way as somebody who's heard my voice and had a conversation and made some dumb dad jokes back and forth. (laughs) Know what I mean? Right. There's something about that where they go, no, you know, we're going to forgive that this email got missed because I really liked Adam. Right. Or we're, you know, we'll overlook this, you know, that typo, not such a big deal. Adam was a nice guy. That doesn't happen with an online form. And so I think, important, you know, it's definitely possible. I think you can go all the way through the order process um, online, you know, in the sense that you could maybe collect your first month of your service contract in order to lock in your service contract or something like that. And I find that I'm doing this a lot. It's not me. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm watching too much Gary Vee or something, but oh, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I just noticed I was doing double quotes, the air, quote, air quotes for those who are listening yeah, on yeah, the, uh, thing. I'm sorry. Um, but what I will say is that at some point in the process before the website goes live, I would recommend some kind of, uh, conversation. And even if that means you are hiring a customer service rep to call them and go through their website for them. If you're not the guy who wants to get on the phone, um, there is value to having that actual voiced point. Amen. Love that. I think the, uh, once the demand gets built up to a certain point, that's more realistic. And I think, right, at that point, having account managers or something to help take that off your plate could be a thing. Um, Regardless, I think we can put that in the category of like good problem to have, right? We'll have sales conversations for now good problem we have in the future if we can actually get to the point where our sales conversations are so numerous that we kind of want to outsource them or spread them out yeah. to account managers. 
Um, okay, here's here's what I know you're gonna love this because I'm sure you get this all the time. This is one that I've been asked multiple times. So here we go. You ready? Won't all of your clients end up with the same website? What say you, Adam? What say me? Um, yes. I'm sorry, what the client is concerned about is not that their website doesn't look like the guy three counties over. What the client is concerned about is, does my website bring me new business? That At the end of the day, right? And if you want to, let's go to an extreme. I'm going to pull up the yellow pages again, shit, Steve, because this is the conversation we had last time where I mentioned yellow yeah. pages and we all made fun of me, including myself. But in the yellow pages, you could buy a quarter page ad, you could buy a business card size ad, and there were no shortage of businesses ready to put their business card in the mechanic section right next to every other mechanic. Okay, so they yeah, there you go. Right. So they weren't concerned. Hey, my ad is going to look just like everybody else's. Nobody cares. And, you know, if you have two sandwich shops and you happen to sell both of them a website and they happen to be next door to each other, then is there a concern? Well, it's possible. We have to remember, even with a template, like we are going to modify all of the colors, their logo, their contact information. In the case of, let's say, a sandwich shop, their menu, their images, you know. But what you really want to highlight, and this is true of any business, even if they're not next to each other, what you really want to highlight is what makes that business unique. and leverage that in all of their communication, right? So mm -hmm. if you say to a client, what makes your business unique? What makes people drive? This is my question that I love to ask. What makes people drive past the competition to do business with you? Oh, and if they, dynamite. Yeah, yeah. And if they say something like, oh, we offer great service or we offer the best selection, I'll say no, neither of those things because Amazon has you beat. What makes you hyper unique? And oftentimes they'll go like, uh, I actually don't know. So now this offers an opportunity for some marketing consulting and having conversations about brand awareness and brand uniqueness and all that kind of stuff. But some people will say, oh, it's X. I'm the only guy in town who offers X. I offer queso. Like nobody, none of those sandwich shops offers chips and queso along with their sandwich. Great. Now we know exactly what we're going to leverage so that you have no complaints that your website looks just like the next guy because we highlighted what's unique about yours. You know, we're the only campground in town with a jacuzzi and and a workout gym. We're the only campground in town with a water with a water park. We're the only pizza shop in town where you can order a hamburger pizza. We're the only hotel in town that includes free breakfast. You know, what is that thing that makes somebody drive past the competition to do business with you and leverage that on the website. So visually, you're going to have a logo in the top left and you're going to have a top menu just like the guy next to you. But like, so does the StreamYard window I'm looking at right this instant. So does Twitter, a logo in the top, a Google. Wait a second, a logo in the top and a menu across to the right. That's weird. The only people that I get this complaint from is web designers. <laughs> Clients <laughs> never come up with this complaint. And so... Yep. If I get a little bit fired up, I think you're looking for excuses to not go make the sale rather than uh, actually realizing that we are going to customize these templates for every single client, every single logo, every single color scheme, their own images, their own text, and focus on what makes that client unique 
from anybody else. Plus, if they've gone through your portfolio and they've seen 60 or 80 websites and clicked even five of them, if they're a web designer, they're going to notice the similarities. If they're not a web designer, that's why they're calling you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you do even like there's another layer too. You do have like a good, better, best, right? And so I assume you probably have a couple different templates to choose from too. Yep. So that that even even it spreads it out further. Man, this has been fantastic. Um, I want to close with this with this brief question. And the answer is uh, probably yes, but you're, you're free to elaborate as much as you want. Uh, do you think now is a good time to become a web designer? I mean, there is a lot of competition out there. There's more and more people on Upwork every day. There's more and more of these uh, Wix uh, and Squarespace every day. There's AI solutions now. Is it still a good time to become a web designer? Yeah, there's not enough people who are creating a segment of a segment niche and really going and marketing that and offering a $0 upfront service to that. So there, there's also not enough people who are, who are building custom websites for a huge lump sum upfront and a tiny hosting management package who are really going after a segment of a segment. This is the first thing that comes up when somebody messages me on Twitter. Hey, I don't know how to find clients. I'll say, okay, what's your segment of a segment? Well, I want to do web design for small businesses. Okay, well, that's the problem is that you are never going to make enough of a splash to be known as the go-to web designer for small businesses. You know, you're never going to make enough of a splash to be known as the pizza shop guy for all of the United States. I don't care how many pizza shop websites you build. That's why your segment of a segment gives you a really big smash splash in a really small pond. And so if you are willing to do that, then outsource or learn the web design or build a team or whatever else you'll win. If you just want to click buttons and build websites, you should go get a job. Amen. That is, yep, exactly right. I totally agree. Um, good, good answer. I also agree. It's the best time to become a web designer. Now's a better time than ever. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's some work to do and client expectations and things like that. But uh, th the reality is, is that there's no shortage of people who aren't willing to do the hard work. And so if you're one of the people who are willing to do the hard work and uh, pursuant to another post that you posted on X earlier to stay consistent, uh, if you are willing to stay consistent, show up every day, do a lot of what we outlined in this episode, then it's a great time to be a web designer. If you yeah. don't want to do any of that, Go get a job. Even if it's a job as a web designer, let somebody else find the clients. You go find one client who will pay you a consistent recurring revenue every month. That's called having a job. Just realize when you're in that situation, you get a little bit less of the freedom. That's the trade-off, right? So you have to decide uh, what you know which path you'd like to take. And neither one is wrong. It's just about uh, where, where your goals are and where that aligns. Uh, yeah. Man, Adam, this has been fantastic. So good, so fun. Uh, gonna have to have you back again. I've still got two or three questions I didn't get to ask you. So I know there will be a round three at some point. Um, briefly tell us, man, where can we find you? Where can we uh, follow your work and everything? And, um, any, any other parting thoughts you'd like to leave us? Sure. Well, I love to hang out on Twitter. So come find me there. Adam underscore McLaughlin. You'll probably have better just to go to Steve's and then find me and like people we've connected with because nobody wants to know how to spell, spell McLaughlin. And if you want to learn more about my online training and my coaching opportunities, it's at buildthatagency.com. And I would love to help you learn how to do what I figured out by accident how to do. It took me, you know, four or five years. I can get you there in four or five weeks. Amen. Boy, that's a promise. All right. Awesome. Amazing, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. And um, we'll uh, catch you down the road. Cool. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. 
Hey there, it's Steve, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the show. You know, one of the biggest questions that I get is, okay, Steve, I'm excited. I love this idea of subscription web design, but I have no clue where to get started. If that's you, go to subscriptionwebdesign.com right now, enter your best email address, and I'm going to send you an exclusive training that I did on the five models of subscription web design that will show you the options that are available to you and give you some things to think about on how to get started. And for a limited time, I'm going to include my contract template for subscription web design. I've been asked multiple times to provide this template, and it's usually only available to my paying students. It's a $100 value, but it's yours free. Just go to subscriptionwebdesign.com and enter your best email address there, and I'll send those right to you, as well as send you daily email tips from the trenches of running my agency. See you over there at subscriptionwebdesign.com.